Welcome back, everybody, to the Real Weirdos podcast, and we hope you're doing okay today. I'm Jesse, along with my co-hosts, Alex and Jeff, and we are the Real Weirdos, two and a half white men with English degrees who talk about movies for way too goddamn long. Today, we're talking about Bone Tomahawk, 2015 film from director S. Craig Zoller. Uh, But before we get into that, we've had a letter. We've had a letter, boys. Are you excited about this? I didn't even know we had a a method to receive letters. Oh, we have a P.O. box. We have one in L.A. This is new to me. Oh, great. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> it's just, we just send them to Alex's house and then he sends them back over to me. Yeah. Great. Well, I mean, it's just, yeah, we don't have to pay. I guess they don't have to pay as much as shipping because the, they're already in LA. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, so Robert Pattinson has written in. Yeah, he was a big fan of our, our Batman episode. Uh, totally not a joke. And he wants us to workshop. He, he thought our, our commentary was so incisive on the Batman that he wanted us to workshop some movie ideas, you know? Like Robert Pattinson's becoming a pretty big, big name in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of projects being thrown at him. So I thought maybe we could think tank this for him. Well, I hope I uh, see a big fat Hollywood paycheck for this. But uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, Robert, really, Robbie, I my mean, boy. This is like outsourcing. <laughs> this is like worse than outsourcing to China. <laughs> You're out, this, is, this is awful. You're outsourcing. What do you mean? You're outsourcing We're, we to, are. We are the world's premier Hollywood think tank, or we will be. Robert oh, yeah. Pattinson knows this. Yeah, yeah, he's just in it at first. He's just super hip. All right, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. But, cool, cool. you know, but Robert, if if you do choose but Robert, the one that okay. we suggest, <laughs> then, uh, you know, kick us some of them dollars. Oh, know? yeah, some of them sweet mermaid pussy dollars. Mermaid pussy? What's that a reference to? Lighthouse? The, oh, God damn it. You're right. Yeah, Fuck that it. little figurine. Drink your coffee, bro. <laughs> no, there's an actual mermaid pussy in that movie. Like the mermaid. Oh, God. It shows her. I don't remember that. You oh. know, when he's having the no. fucking psycho and he's fucking the mermaid and it's like he, the camera like goes down and she's got a big mm. old mermaid puss. How have I forgotten that? I don't oh, know. Shit. That's crazy. It's like one know. of the most memorable scenes. <laughs> yeah, that scene is. We're going to have to do that movie at some point. It's so good. Yeah, it's very good. Talk about Willem Dafoe farting. <laughs> you farts! You goddamn farts! <laughs> uh, but anyway, let's go. Let's go. So, like, so he's written in with four ideas here, four four things that he wants us to workshop. The first, uh, uh, mm, so this is an Indiana Jones reboot. Uh, we all know that Spielberg is working on the fifth one. It'll be out soon. But what people don't know is they're going to redo the whole trilogy, baby. Uh, so the idea is to have Pattinson as Indy, and there's some supporting roles. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is slated to appear as Sala, who was John Reese davies in the originals. And uh, Christopher Walken is going to play Indy's father. <laughs> um, so what do we think? What do we think as, for Robert Pattinson as Indiana Jones? I see Christopher Walken and Pattinson getting together again, which is good. 
I'm excited to see Christopher walking in anything. Yeah. As Indy's dad, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, can you reboot something that is still producing active sequels? Is yeah. that even like, well, like, well, is that like splitting the movie particle? Will we like cause like a nuclear type explosion? Well, like, I don't <laughs> know. Remake DC, Hollywood with this. Where we make Speaking good of movies the Batman, again. where he was just in the Batman, DC is like that, right? That whole Zack Snyder universe got completely split apart because Ben Affleck quit and Henry Cavill quit. But they're still like doing sequels to Aquaman and Wonder Woman that take place in that world while still doing like different Jokers and a completely new Batman. So I think it's just all over the place. Oh, dude, I don't know. Like, the DC universe is like, like if the Marvel universe, I give it one thing, it's organized. Like the Marvel universe is like a nice organized pantry and DC universe is like like a casserole where you, you're hungry and you don't have like any singular thing <laughs> to make a casserole out of. So you're just like grabbing shit out of your fridge. It's 90% condiments. You know, right. it's just <laughs> like that's the DC universe. Yeah. I mean, my thought on this is like, while he could probably be a decent indie as far as like choosing a young actor, I think you'd ruin a lot of the goodwill that he's built up because nobody wants those remade. Just don't remake them. Oh, don't uh, remake you know? Indiana Jones. It's it's sick. Especially don't remake Indiana Jones with Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Sala. I have to object to that casting, honestly. I don't know <laughs> yeah. what Hollywood's we thinking also, about that. There's also talks of Finn Wolfhard as Short Round, which is like ridiculous because he's like a gangly Who? teenager now. The kid from Stranger Things. The kid Things. from Stranger Things. Oh, the the one with the... 80s the, kid. The, kid, the, the 80s, 80s kid, kid who's in every 80s kid Yeah, he high cheekbones and he's like, yeah, 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 yeah. The skinny guy yeah 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 isn't he yeah. like 20 now yeah exactly <laughs> like, he's like an adult they might have done this they might have done this casting some time ago he's 80s college saying. student now i'm gonna take a totally different angle with this and just say i dislike it because uh india is just too american to me I can't. I can't have it. I can't have any of these limey fucks. So is Batman. Over here. He played Batman. I can't have it, Jesse. <laughs> That's like, fine. Batman's, ba- Batman's, Batman's more metropolitan. Su- yeah. You know, Batman's like Batman's also like a, a, like an idea that's around like a character. You know. Like I just, <laughs> I just, I can't. <laughs> I needed him to be. American. We gotta kill them Nazis. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Got me with. Yeah. Yeah, Robert, um, we know you're listening. Uh, we're going to ixnay the Indiana Jones reboot. I'm sorry. I think it's a bad idea sorry, we gotta, for a few we're reasons. We're flushing that. <laughs> um, the next one, number two, is uh, he's being courted for a Roland Emmerich film. Uh, oh, it only favorite. makes sense that the greatest living director would try to enlist Pattinson because he's a major box office draw now. Uh, so the title of the film is Stargate 2 Through the Wormhole. Uh, the plot line is that Earth is invaded by Stargate technology and a grizzled old Kurt Russell and a young Robbie Pattinson have to team up to kick some alien ass all the way from Earth to multiple alien worlds. This got blockbuster potential written all over it. I mean, yeah, I mean, we we're just talking about before before the cast, like Kurt Russell, you know, is such a badass. Why not take well, him to space? We haven't yeah. seen him in space, have we? Stargate. Oh, yeah. I didn't. Well, I haven't that's, watched any that's, of that. That's I the refuse. point. Yeah, <laughs> I like. See, that's the thing. I, the joke is lost on me because I have not seen yeah. Stargate and refused. Kurt to Russell watch it. is the star of Stargate. Oh, I didn't yeah. even know that. Okay, well, yeah. Then, I mean, you right. can make the argument that it James doesn't Spader make it watchable, is, but Kurt Russell is like. He's like on the cover and shit. Like he's the main focus of that film. He's okay. the handsome well, yeah. guy that saves everyone's ass at the end. Okay. 
Yeah, I oh, had no, no context to that piece of Alex, shit movie. Alex, Alex, you're a huge Stargate fan. We did a book report where we lavished praise upon it endlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you think about this idea? Stargate 2 Fuck by it. Roland Emmerich. Just do it. It'll make so much fucking money. It doesn't even matter. Like, if they roll out, <laughs> if they roll this shit out right now, it would make easy uh, over 150 million in the box office. Like, maybe his, I think his, like, his whole disaster thing is, has come to an end. Like, Moonfall was a gigantic fucking flop. He got all this money from, like, investors in China and stuff to make it, and nobody made money off that thing. The disaster movie movies are just so, like, dated. Yeah. Um, well, this, this ties into, like, uh, sort of a point we've had about other actors. Alex and I talked about this with, uh, Coda, which I actually think hasn't come out yet, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) Um, where, where it's like, I want these young actors and actresses who are really good to choose classy projects. And even if, even if this movie would be a success, I don't want to see Pattinson go down that Chris Pratt route of being in junk. Yeah. You know, I want to see him in elevated material. Indiana Jones kind of borderline, but and it's funny because he has he's done the pretty boy role, and he has that aesthetic, so he could easily fall into that like that trap where Hollywood will start using you for everything if you're just hot and pretty, square jaw, good hairline. We're gonna stick you in everything. Like Chris Pratt to me was always a great kind of jokey comedic actor like i thought it would have been he could have been great if he just stayed in like the star lord lane where he was always kind of like a weird goofball but it's just it's just seeing him like yeah like kind of hammered into everything i don't know yeah tomorrow war he's gonna be super mario (laughs) it's just just, wow yeah i mean so especially since pattinson was just batman he's gonna have all kinds of offers like this i think i think he's gonna have to be careful about what he chooses to not just you know be a like fall into that junk actor category where you're just making big ass movies because you're a big name like, I want him to be classier than that because he has the potential. The first step is, like, don't go to any dinner parties hosted by Uwe Boll. Like, just, or, or Roland Emmerich. No, like, just, <laughs> Roland Emmerich, yeah. Just, just Do Roland it. Emmerich or Uwe Boll, don't no. go to any of their dinner parties and you should be Alex, good. <laughs> Alex says do if it, you, I say stay far, far away. If you show up to a dinner party and you see fucking Matthew Lillard and Ray Liotta, Sit down and stay for the entire night. <laughs> well, of course, <laughs> like if it's them. But if it's if if Uwe Boll calls you up and he's like, I don't I, I don't know his accent. So he's German. He's German. He's German. Oh, oh, great. Do it. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> so you like so you like Robert Robert Pattinson. I have no idea what a German <laughs> accent is. I have never done a German accent in my life. <laughs> uh, uh, but he Germans. can have him come up. Ich bin ein Pattinson. I have no idea. Like, I've never even tried a German accent once. That was the first time. Uh, I think that it would be truly, truly a bad move for him to consider any kind of disaster movie or anything like that. So, yeah. I think another hard pass. Yeah, I'm going to hard pass on that one as well. Um, okay, moving on to number three. It's well known now that the X-Men will be joining the MCU. And with that, there's casting to be done to bring these heroes back to the silver screen. Pattinson is in talks to play Wolverine. How do we feel about that? Well, he's going to have to 
meet up with his arch nemesis Harry Potter and get into a fist fight because apparently Daniel Radcliffe was slated to play Wolverine. Oh, so it's actually kind of like a clash of titans again. Cedric Diggory coming back from the grave to body <laughs> Harry Potter out of holy role. shit. <laughs> I'm rooting for Radcliffe. I'd love to see dude. the. Fuck I'd love to see the um, like footage of them trying out the role. You know, the audition footage. It's like back to back and see how that goes. Yeah, I think those would both be interesting choices. <laughs> Radcliffe is funny because every everyone's like, he's so short. And it's like... So is Wolverine! The, in the comics, Wolverine's like 5'5". Five five. <laughs> like yeah. he's, he's a short dude, actually. So He's, he's well like, under he's, Cyclops range. He's a Wolverine. Yeah. He's supposed to be small and like, bah, you know, it's... Uh, it, it's kind <laughs> He's of also funny. like fucking stupidly jacked in the comics, like yeah. unreasonably steroid jacked. <laughs> yeah, which I don't um, think is something Pattinson nor Radcliffe will be able to attain. I feel nah, like they'd be a leaner, meaner wolvie. If anything, Radcliffe would look a little bit bigger because he's shorter. Yeah, you know, because yeah, he'll, but... he'll fill it out a little more. I mean, Pattinson's pretty lanky. I could yeah, see you'd him have playing call... like the Silver Surfer. You know, yeah, you'd have to. Pattinson would be like the mongoose. Instead yeah. of the Wolverine or something. Is that a... The ferret. I get it. Something else. Is there is there like a a thing though like where how can Pattinson exist as Batman but then also as Wolverine's like regardless of the, the split of the universe? Like, yeah, they don't exist nah, in the same universe. This Marvel versus DC, my friend. No, I just mean split like... universes. That would be that would be like okay for like maybe comic book nerds but like for like general movie going audiences it would just be like the fuck is happening you can't be both be at like, the same time it'd be like when you choose the same character in a fighting game and it's just the same guy but with like a purple shirt <laughs> yeah, on yeah 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 <laughs> so it's just like marvel versus dc it's just pattinson versus pattinson yeah yeah it's dude <laughs> no one yeah. even mentions it hmm Let's bring back Toby for that role. Yeah. For for Wolverine. Yeah. It's like a 45-year-old Toby Maguire is Wolverine. Yeah. Do you guys remember (laughs) Elijah Wood in Sin City? Yeah. Like, Mm -hmm. that was like, I mean, do something like that, Wolverine, instead of like a cat, instead of a weird cannibalistic rapey cat that he was in that (laughs) movie. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. But do it as Frodo Baggins. (laughs) <laughs> Play the Wolverine character I'm as Wolverine Frodo. Gandalf. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Look at my claws, Gandalf. Uh, all right. Well, we'll put a pin in that one. I think that sounds like a maybe. Although yeah. we might, we might <laughs> yeah, prefer. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, not a hard. Prefer, that's not a pass. But you know, it's not a hard pass. I could see it. I could see it. Um, the fourth one. This might be my favorite. Speaking of Daniel Radcliffe, actually, uh, serendipitous. I had no idea this this would connect. But this last one is a rendition of the classic Jack Kerouac novel On the Road with Pattinson as Jack Kerouac, Daniel Radcliffe reprising his role as Allen Ginsberg, and we've also got Shia LaBeouf as Neil Cassidy and Fassbender as William S. Burroughs. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. I'd watch that, <laughs> actually. Yeah, that one... That one would be kind of interesting. I feel like Pattinson's a little too, still a little too young. But if they're, I mean, if they're going with on the road, it is. I mean, he was was pretty young at the at the time. Yeah, Yeah. I think. But he just drank himself into this like old gnarled piece of wood. Basically, (laughs) people love to bring this up about Kerouac. Yeah, but it is true. It is true. He drank himself to death. I think that you could definitely, with makeup, 
and you wouldn't even need to CGI it. You could make Pattinson look like a like a bloat, like not bloated, but like an alcoholic, wrinkly Kerouac. I think well, he's he's not that at the time of On the Road. So then, yeah, um, I think it would be perfect. I think he's a young man. That's yeah. These other castings are interesting as well. Daniel I mean, Radcliffe, Radcliffe did a great Ginsburg and Kill, yeah. uh, Kill Your Darlings, so he would be. I'd love to see him reprise that role. Um, um, Fass- Michael Fassbender for sure is Bill Burroughs. I think yeah. he'd be great. Uh, yeah, what work. do you think about Shia LaBeouf as Cassidy? Mm, I mean, he definitely has that like that energy. He he, because in the book Neil Cassidy is like represented as this like just fucking ball like fireball of masculinity, yeah. you know, like just and like they had Garrett Hedlund play him in that on the road adaptation. He's like young, fucking sex buck or whatever. Like <laughs> so, it, he has that fucking energy for it. Definitely Shia LaBeouf, and I could. I could see him pulling that one off. Um, I don't know. I'm just not interested in another on the road adaptation. I'd no. like to see like something like the Dharma Bums or something where he like just mm. fucking wanders up into the hills above into the Bay Area, meets other friends and whatnot. I think Lawrence Ferlinghetti was the guy he was he was kicking with it at that time. But I don't know. There there's a lot of interesting ways to go with Ker- Kerouac, and I actually think Pattinson could pull off more of a biopic rather than just an adaptation of that one story. Mm, yeah, sort of sprawling thing, maybe a miniseries. Uh, I think a lot of his books are like autobiographical. I care more right, at this in po- some sense. At, in my thirties, I care more about the man than I do about the content at this point. Like. I like I want to know more about the man in like a more deep and intricate way. It's actually interesting. Mm. Like this is very serendipitous, I guess, with uh, the release of the new Kendrick Lamar album last night, which is like very, very good and very revealing of an artist that I hadn't quite seen in many aspects of a personality of an artist that I love that was very. Uh, it was departed from like the normal consumption of their content, like something I'm expecting. It's like, oh wow, this is more autobiographical. I would, I definitely agree, Alex. I'd like to see something like that with Pattinson. So Pattinson, maybe you try to modify the idea and have it be like the biopic title, you know, Kerouac, something like that. And uh, just... in the Batman font, <laughs> maybe not that. You want it to be a little more elevated. There's like a big think... bat signal for Kerouac, but it's just like a fucking spilled booze bottle. It's a, yeah, it's oh, a booze on. bottle. It's like a joint or something. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think that one has the most potential out of all of them. I think I'd like to see. If not, if not the biopic, then on the road, I'm down. There's so much material in that fucking book that, like, yeah. you could do uh, it so many different ways. It depend on the director as well. It'd be cool mm-hmm. to actually do that, and and on the road, we do like a same movie but different like interpretations or different. Oh, like, a couple different directors yeah. get the same actors. Like, Has anyone one, ever done that? One, I don't know, but it'd be like one movie, but yeah. like it would be different perspectives of a same story with different artists. You know, Ooh. the closest thing that I've seen to that is I'm not here or I'm oh, not yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Bob, the Bob Dylan, Dylan thing. thing. Yeah, it 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 had different actors for sure playing Bob Dylan's role. However. At like different parts in his life, mm-hmm. I don't know about the filmmaking crew or like. I believe the directors it was just the sequence. same director. They believe it was cinematically different enough in each sequence that it looked like it could have been. But yeah, That'd I don't be know. Cool, like it would like like director, their crew, their team, whole new crew, whole new team. Yeah, but like same yeah. movie. It's like uh, in season same editor. Yeah, it's like season one of. Um, one Punch Man, how they had like 12 different artists right, drawing it. So like you would have these different 
takes with totally different art styles that captured the mood of the scene so well. It was a uh, so it was directed by a man named Todd Haynes. So it is a singular director. Um, Got it. I'm unfamiliar with his stuff. Uh, but yeah, Robert yeah. Pattinson. Uh, I think we're leaning towards Kerouac, man. That sounds cool. Yep. Take that's, that. That's my vote. Put that in your pipe. Uh, Wolverine would be interesting. Definitely not Roland Emmerich. Definitely not Indiana Jones. Yep. Pass on those. Um. All right. Well, with all that out of the way, let's get to the movie. Bone Tomahawk, baby. So, as I said, 2015 film by director S. Craig Zoller, who is a novel writer, which is an interesting okay. uh, little tidbit when we talk about that element of this film. Um, and I chose it because I guess we hadn't done a Western yet, not that I can remember at least. And I love a Western, and I don't think there are very many great examples of a modern Western Especially ones that are, I don't know, seemingly as classy as this, at least in my estimation. And that also kind of dovetail into like an interesting sort of grindhouse element that is really up my alley. And we're going to say pretty much full spoilers, but um, just to get some some inaugural thoughts here. Alex, what did you think of Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk exists like in this body of an old fashioned like Western extravaganza. But I think it owns its life force to like an otherworldly, almost supernatural genre. And it borders on the horror at sometimes, like good horror. Um, there's some some jump scares in this film, or at least like really eerily tense moments that actually had me frightened. Um, it's definitely a film of two acts. The first one being like a devotional kind of slugfest of cowboys and saloons, ill-received and ill-provoked manners of like the American West. And then the second half is like a searcher's type epic slog towards this unnatural awaiting beast um, or, you know, cult yeah, of beasts. Yeah, some kind of mysterious force out there in the wilderness. Um, and it never commits to any one theme and it borders less on camp than, than gazes at it from like afar. Um, and it decides to present some heavy hitting themes like masculinity and even i mean racism is the biggest one and just race in general of the american west in the late 19th century um but it refrains from making any like severe judgment on any of those themes and it instead presents it beautifully cinematically and very open and bare um and it stars kurt russell and his mustache <laughs> it does it stars kurt russell and his mustache his glorious mustache. glorious mustache <laughs> um Jeff, how'd you feel about the Bone Tomahawk? Bone Tomahawk is just shot its way into like my favorite movies. Nice. Uh, Hell it, yeah. It was such an enjoyable experience. It was such a highly stylized and, and raw take on a Western world. It was slow and methodical when it needed to be at the right moments and dwelled and hung on like pregnant pauses so beautifully but then equally could get like its hands and elbows dirty and like the traditional almost like you said grindhouse or horror movie muck the blood and guts <clears throat> and and it does it's not afraid to pull those punches at all which is given to you in little tastes in the beginning by just how people are killed especially specifically the stable boy but we'll get into that later. But overall, Bone Tomahawk was just a beautifully stylized Western. 
yeah, definitely uh, segmented it into two great acts and something that highlights, I think, a lot of background actors in a lot of movies coming to the forefront and creating a really great posse and uh, crew movie. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a great actors movie. <laughs> we'll definitely get into that. I want to talk about the the attribution you gave of stylized, which is an interesting way of putting it because it, it in my opinion, it, it's almost like anti-stylizing where it's, it's very naturalistic um, in terms of its presentation. It's not showy, especially. Um, maybe some, like, except for, like, some of the gore at the end. But it it, it almost feels like anti-Hollywood in a lot of ways. I, I was looking for it this time because I remembered this from the first watch that I had some time ago, where I don't think we have any music until 45 minutes in. And we get music about three times, maybe three or four times throughout the entire movie. Like just these little dots of music. It's it's crazy. It's really I didn't even weird. Notice. Yeah, even even towards the end, um, when the when the when it gets really brutal, there's none of that action movie music. There's none of it. It's absolutely zero. It's very interesting. There's no it's horror like, movie music either. It's like there's no horror movie music, even though it genuinely feels like a horror movie towards the end. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's it's just it's very natural. And uh, was this? Uh, let me look. Uh, this was either his first or his second feature, actually. Not oh, first feature, first feature. So you know, props to him, man. But um, I'm I'm curious, like. Alex, what did you think of the filmmaking element? So I, I said that it was like, it was open and bare cinematically. And I think that alludes perfectly to what you said about the music. I didn't realize that there was only three, but it was obvious to me that it was like in very small little moments that the music would present itself and it wouldn't even last that long. Um, it was like very short little motifs. Um, there were a few string pulls here and there, not loud enough. Like they were melodic. They were not, you know, that harsh, like scratching sound. There were like melodic sounds and things like that when they were like, there's this one scene specifically where one of the characters, Bruder, has this like repeater raised and they're going into like this rock crevice. You just hear it for like two seconds though. And that's all it really needs. Cause then you're just like, holy shit, this is tense. But I will contend with it being stylized only because I don't think I understand fully what you mean by that, Jeff, because I think it's made incredibly traditionally in the style of like a Western um, just in 20 or in the 21st century. Right. I just feel like the costumes, you know, the interiors, if we get into like the set design and everything, it seemed very Deadwood to me, you know, like very typical Western. So what do you mean by stylized? Do you mean like the the gore? No. Uh, what I mean by stylized is I mean that we take the the old west and we put it in this like this frame of very poetic, very like beautiful painting. We definitely keep the aspects of the racism and stuff like that. But the wild west was ninety nine percent not like that. It was mostly just kind of boring day-to-day -day life. There wasn't these posses and sheriffs and all this stuff. This stuff happened very rarely and it was mostly benign. And what we've done is we've taken this very uncategorized and not really well-documented era of American history and we've ca uh, cap... Like romanticized it. Thank you. I'm like trying, I'm stuttering over my words. But yes, we've romanticized <laughs> it to a point where it has become what we consider 
even this type of is, what is considered like bare bones. It's like, no, this is not what the Old West was like. This is very stylized. This is very uh, dramatic and, and has a beautiful weaving narrative and has like the, these things, the Wild West. But what, they, but what they did was they took that framework and they still were able to put in small details that I do appreciate, like the male-female dynamic. Like, I think that the, all of those aspects of the husband-wife relationship, especially between the sheriff and his wife, or um, what's their names? Oh, something. Oh, oh, Harris. Uh, oh, God. The guy from <laughs> The Conjuring. <laughs> yeah, wife. yes, yeah. 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 Oh, Harris <laughs> or something like that. Um, oh, I have it right Bum leg guy. Yeah, uh... These characters have great grounded moments, but this movie is, in a, in essence, a very high-minded horror film. Yeah, it's an interesting point about Westerns in general that you're making. I, I can't really verify it one way or the other, but um, it, it's interesting to think about this movie in that sense because in terms of the Westerns, it feels very stripped down, but in terms of like representations of actuality, like reality... You could very well be be um, accurate there, but yeah, we can we could get into the actors as well. I mean, it's a it's a very good ensemble piece. Like it has such a great variety of actors in it, from Kurt Russell to Patrick Wilson and his wife, who's twenty years younger than him because it's Hollywood. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> you guys. True. Um, and we have Richard Jenkins in there too, which I I always love when he shows up. You love a Richard Jenkins. <laughs> you love a Richard Jenkins, dude. He's always good. Dude, to burn after reading, like it's just everything he does. But like I said before, this is a movie of background actors. These are all like snap famous people. It's character actors. Yeah, yeah. that 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 you see as like eighth, seventh on the call sheet, and yet. They're taking the forefront. I love when movies do that. I always think that's such a like great thing. I was that's why I felt like Moon is one of my favorite movies because it 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 elevates an actor out of that position and and puts them in the forefront. So that's that's an important thing with the actors in this movie. I think everyone does a great job and it's super fun. I think everyone had a fun time playing these roles. Yeah, I mean, obviously the lead is Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is Kurt Russell. He's very well known for being Kurt Russell. Um, but you also have like Matthew Fox as what's the character's name? Bruder. 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 Um, and I don't know if I'd seen him anything in anything since Lost. Yeah. You know, it's like ah, yeah. oh, it's the guy from Lost. It was, he was great too. Like he really like sold that character well and had a really swaggery, but almost like deadly persona to him and i really liked his character bruder was probably one of my was favorites. it his uh was it his overt racism that signaled that <laughs> oh no that was my favorite part about him i was like oh this is the biggest bigot of the movie so here's my hitch there's his train here's <laughs> jeff's relatable core <laughs> no it, i think it was more like he was a character that felt like that matched this kind of like high fantasy wild west that i was really enjoying this like quick gunslinger with the slick outfit who's killed a hundred Indians and and that's a fact you know like it's just <laughs> that, not a brand. that wild a west fact. character like I laughed so loud when he was like that's an ugly boast I laughed so loud because I forgot that character was there and so uh, it was it was perfect but yeah, yeah I agree Matthew Fox 
he's not in a lot anymore. No, I don't know. No, what yeah, he's he did in. really well though. He was definitely my least favorite character as far as not because of like how he was built. He was a great character, just who he was, right? He was supposed to kind of rub you the wrong way. But I want to say like he wasn't like just flat out two dimensional super villain, evil, racist American boy. Like there was some dimension to his character and whatnot. And that's what I mean about it presenting the themes open and bare. Like it's just like, hey man, there are going to be fucking people like this out in the Wild West. Like his whole family got murdered by Indians, you know? So. Yeah, we're sort of getting into something I wanted to talk about, which is economy of storytelling. And this goes into as well the fact that S. Craig Zoller is a novelist. Like he has several published novels. And this movie, in almost all facets, does just enough to let you know who a person is without over-explaining, ever. Um, all the way from, I guess, maybe you get a little bit more with Patrick Wilson and his wife, but everyone else, it's very, it's very understated, and that's a thing that ties into a lot of the filmmaking as well. But, uh, yeah, there are all these moments where... Just a single line of dialogue gives you so much clue into who a character is. And they can be like incidental things, right? Whether it's um, Matthew Fox just giving the little anecdote about Indians killed his family. Like, boom, that's really all you need. And it's well delivered. It doesn't linger on it. It doesn't moralize on it at all. The film doesn't do that generally. But then you also have all these moments from Richard Jenkins that are just like, oh, he's a hilarious old man who has a really sensitive heart. Where he's like, there's the moment around the campfire when Kurt Russell's trying to sleep, and he's like, you ever tried to read a book in a bathtub? <laughs> Dude, I wanted to talk about that scene so bad. It was so cute. It was the most adorable scene. I've, I've never seen an old man be that adorable in a movie before. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do just that when I get back. And he's like, put a little towel on the side of the bath, dry your fingers when you turn the page. It's It's like that adds nothing to the the grand narrative of the story, but it adds so much to making it feel like a real world with lived-in characters. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's another one I wanted to point out with uh, Matthew Fox where he shoots the Mexican Richard Jenkins like, you shouldn't have done that. He has a cross around his neck. And he's like, well, Jesus should have saved him then. <laughs> yep. It's like all you need to know about his faith and how he feels. And and just to bring it back to Chicory for one second. like, Yeah, yeah. There's a little aspect to him that I really loved where he's, he's funny. He's definitely the goofiest character out of the bunch. But there's this thing where he's also the most highly perceptive out of the bunch. Because in, oh, the, in the beginning, he's the one who spots Pervil burying his loot outside and, like, reports to the sheriff, and that's how they find him. Uh, he also, like, has the weird feeling about um, Arthur, and then he's, like, they take the opium from him. It, he's always the one that kind of, like, is the moral compass for the group and has a great... And that's kind of what you want in, like, a deputy. is like, a very perceptive person. He fought in the war, so you know he's, like, a medic in the war. So you get, like you're saying, these little snacks about his past that are just like, mm, 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 mm. yeah, okay, perfect. That's all I want to know. That's perfect. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, no, yeah, yeah. it's really great. You get that a lot in this film, and it's definitely because he's a novelist. I mean, he does it so well. He's not trying too hard. It's some of... 
the things that I said that I loved a lot about a movie like Barry Lyndon. I feel bad even bringing that movie up all the time, but Don't. it's true because they're there. It's sparse, right? And there are little character moments in it where you can just like your imagination can just go and like run a hundred miles with that character. Um, this movie executes that perfectly. Um, and as far as chicory goes, he is my favorite character. Hands nice, down. Nice. Um, I think when we talk about the themes of masculinity in this film, He's definitely like the counteracting, like the cooler force to like Kurt Russell's like fire branded version of masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, but they inform each other. Exactly. Yeah. At some levels, it's a buddy. It's like a buddy movie. You know, he's the sheriff, Kurt Russell, and that's this is his deputy. <laughs> it's funny because his deputy is an old man instead of some young like buck well, upstart. It is. You know? the, the younger guy is his deputy. He's the backup deputy. <laughs> It's the opinion oh, of the backup Jesus. deputy that we should not oh, take Nick. a dump in Nick. this lake. Nick is his main deputy. Nick is the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he yeah, gets right. captured, and he's the backup deputy. So that means like he probably Poor was Nick. a deputy when he was younger, <laughs> but like you know has retired now, and it's like it's so yeah. great. So that means that makes him the perfect person to come along to this posse, as far as a narratively, because you need like each person in the posse represents a different narrative element. You know, you have like. Like the man who embodies manifest destiny. You have mm-hmm. the 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 young doctor who's just looking for his wife. The moral the moral kind of center. Like it's just a revenge thing for him. The Kurt Russell is the grizzled hard man who needs to learn a lesson about you know maybe not shooting everyone in the leg. Like there's all these like perfect <laughs> little book elements to the characters that sit so well. And to that point, like in movies, journeys can be really boring. Like you sometimes, if the journey's not written well, you yeah. just kind of want to get to the point where they're. And it's like seventy percent of this film is the journey, and it's, it's the best so part. Much of it. It, it. Actually, I always find I find the end to where like where all the graphic stuff comes in, you get all the information about the cannibals. Like, I find all that stuff to be cool. That's fun. But the first half was almost like a, a blood meridian ish. Kind of like slow-paced, cold mm. western. You know, it was cool. Yeah, not as dark as that. There are definitely yes. moments of levity, but uh, <laughs> yeah, like for Richard Jenkins, him prefacing all of these statements with "It's the opinion of the backup deputy." <laughs> 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 Just—it's it, such it, a great little detail, dude. It reminded me so much of. Um, Benicio del Toro and Fear and Loathing. Like oh. Benny would just be like, as your lawyer, I right. you to take all of that cocaine. Like it's just he would use it for every scene. It's this it's the language is also so it's such a writer's uh screenplay because yeah. it's the little western language, like, is something amiss? Like when like the sheriff comes in, like the bartender, or they're like after he shoots a Mexican, he wakes up, what's transpired? You know, like it's just You've like been that squirting w- lemon juice in my ass since I it's, walked in here. There's just this like way that they used to talk back then that's so poetic and rhythmic. Again, adding to this like stylized way of because only people who knew how to read could talk like that. Yeah, even even their their little writerly moments that only a writer would like think to do, where it's set up that Matthew Fox's spyglass he got in Hamburg, Germany. And thereafter, they call it the German. The German. It's just dude. this tiny little thing that it's very writerly. It's very good. It just like like these other things we're talking about. It just sort of fills out the world and makes it feel natural and authentic. Uh, yeah. Bruder, can I borrow the German for a minute? Yeah. 
is like so excited. Go to Hamburg and replace it for me. Ah, <laughs> uh, you reckon I will? I think I'll hold on to it myself. <laughs> it's just so good. So, Alex, I want to explore this topic of masculinity that you brought in. Can you mm-hmm. like go into that a little bit? So, with Jenkins' character, he operates totally and completely on like this level of kindness. This like almost fatherly, almost if you want to border into it, maternally. I mean, maternal is the more accepted, you know, nomenclature for defining mm. someone. I'd who say is, he's like, like avuncular, you know, yeah, that, like, like uncle, uncle like. Exactly. He's like this, like almost like stately, not authoritative necessarily, but he he just operates from this this level of kindness. He is right? the wisdom of the group. Where exactly? Whereas Bruder is he operates on this level of manners, much like uh, Mr. O'Harris or whoever the fuck he is, um, the broken leg guy, and he he like operates on this level of survival. Right, this like manhood, this like cult of manhood about survival in the West. Um, I've been wronged, and therefore I will never be wronged again. And to do that, I must ensure that every person that I encounter that looks like the person that wronged me will no longer be like a problem to me, you know? So that informs a lot of his like masculinity. I feel like Kurt Russell falls a little bit in between the two, maybe because of his exposure to chicory. You know, and to his kindness, he kind of softens him up a little bit when he needs to. You see, he's got a wife and stuff that he cares about, so. Yeah, no, um, I'm talking about Kurt Russell, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Kurt Russell has a wife. Oh, okay. And then I was going to talk about, dude, is his name O'Harris? Sorry. Uh, I'm looking at the script. All it says is Arthur. Uh, okay, so Arthur's character is like your just typical, traditional, average male man. He has the wife who's been captured, and he's he's going to do everything he can to get her back, but he must rely on the grit of other men and other forms of masculinity to get it back. And I think this film does a really good job of blending these four characters together without establishing, like too kitschy or token of roles you know like this guy's the big bombardier guy and this guy's the guy who's like kind of smart and will diffuse stuff like i'm going like way into like military sci-fi you know context here but you get what i mean that they all feel like extremely real examples of men with very real motivations the only reason that i'm using the word masculine is because they're men otherwise they're just very human right i just feel like Maybe the females in this film don't get a lot of like of the same treatment or exploration. It's just not about that, I guess, until more towards the end. Well, I also would like to just quick counterpoint to that is like I I would disagree in, in the sense of where when they they have enough faith in the female character of Mrs. O'Harris or whatever to Miss Broken Leg to call on her as a backup doctor and mm-hmm. i believe that is an, an important point there where they sh- they have the faith in her and she comes in and they're all very yes ma'am yes ma'am and they're all like following her directions don't put your finger in the water yes ma'am like so mm-hmm. there is this aspect where a strong character the only strong female character is the one that has been put in the damsel in distress role so i think that speaks to kind of what you're saying I think it strengthens your idea of masculinity just outside of the male versus male uh, kind of argument that you're talking about. Is like there's another 
element to that where we're seeing this like strong female character kind of neutered. Mm-hmm. She's like taken out of the equation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, it is a weird borderline because she is the damsel in distress, but she's also like kind of a badass. She gets shit done. She knows what she wants. She knows how to communicate. Like she's a strong mm-hmm. character. She counts so, all the, the troglodytes and gets all like she's the one that lets them know how many yeah. there are. Yeah, was it her idea to use the opium at the end as I well? I believe so. I yeah. believe because she was the so. one because she's like one's gonna die, one's gonna pass out, and one's nothing's gonna happen. Yeah, she's got that doctor knowledge. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm not exactly sure how to define that in terms of like the the sort of little masculine universe we're setting up, but it is an interesting thing to note. Definitely. No, I don't think these are themes that have like a strong claw into the narrative or into no. the, the crux of the story these are simply things it's just that are to, presented. To notice. yeah these are things that are presented take them for what you will yeah like the racism element we've we've noted that as well and the movie doesn't comment on it it just shows that like some people are fucking racist and, and it makes definitely little, were in the old west you know yeah, and they make a little bit of a light like you know like the the line that chicory has where uh he wakes up and he's like Oh, well, Bruder just showed a couple Mexicans the meaning of manifest destiny. Like, <laughs> that's an awful fucking line. But yeah. that's also, like, kind of funny. Like, the it's way he well, says yeah. it, it's, it's set up in a comedic way. But in the same time, you hear it and you're like, oof. <laughs> well, in that sense, in that sense about the realism, it's like, if you were Chicory, right? And you were an old man. He says the line, right? Chicory? If you wake up and you, you're an old man and you want to show your disdain for something that someone is doing who is much more capable than you are in like a martial fight, you'd probably get away with saying lines like that, right? I mean, he shows his discomfort with him many times and he gets a little like sly about it, but it's hilarious the scenes they have to me where they're always apologizing to each other. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry for that outburst. Well, like, I didn't actually mean it. Like, you're a good guy. I just say things. That's sometimes. that Western <laughs> etiquette that's very like pumped up in the movie. Yeah. It's like this like idea that in the West everyone was very like straight and proper with each other. And if you if you wronged another man, you apologized for hollering at you. Like, <laughs> like this is just this like very like uh, grandiose and romanticized like idea of these male cowboys you know it's just so it's so great it's so perfect for this movie because each time they do that you feel like a little bit of a like a, a brotherhood link between them speaking of yeah some of the dialogue there's the moment and, and like these little funny moments i loved the scene when uh patrick wilson i'm just gonna call him patrick wilson we can never remember his fucking name arthur yeah arthur's taken off the splint for his leg and he yells jesus god damn it and then he looks back up into the sky and he's like sorry yep <laughs> yeah yeah well he yeah, he has conversations with God a few times where he's, he like, oh, yeah. where he's like, I don't. He's think like, I prayed be, all my life for this. I don't think don't I should be anger in the Lord right now. We, I don't think we should be calling upon the Lord right now. Or when he sees the grave, he looks up and he's like, "You see in this?" Yeah, <laughs> it's like he has those little like links there. So I do want to respond to a few. There are a few little blurbs I saw on the internet about this film. How instead of like it just presenting the racism in general of the. 1890s it it itself was actually racist right and that is like obviously easy to see where they're coming from and it's understandable to see how you can make that like connection 
And they they remark, they're like, I think the film did things lazily as far as like setting up that they weren't like real Native Americans. Some people went as far to say the fact that they had to even say that like what? makes it. What like did you racist. need, like a full anthropological paper on it? Yeah, like, I found so, the explanation was pretty adequate. The guy that exactly. you had your professor come in, he's called the professor. I mean, I get it. I get I, I Continue, because I do have a response to this. <laughs> okay, so it's like I understand why people are saying things like that. However, this film is about literal cannibal like non-human beings. There's one line where Kurt Russell says to Chicory, they weren't men. So it's like there's, I already mentioned, there's something supernatural about this world. And I want to propose a scenario here. If you would rather have had this director make it from the view of the Native Americans and how men, the white man, are the troglodytes, you bring up a whole host of issues of why is a white man making a film about Native Americans? And you would probably just crucify him for that in that sense. So there is no subject matter that is necessarily like off limits. Like if you can't just be like, oh, it's racist because it talks about it or it's racist because it made the the monster people like certain Native American tribes that, you know, like they had the white paint and everything and they wore like the loincloths and everything like that. The movie does well to talk about those things without, again, like Jesse said, moralizing it in any way. You have characters that have distaste when we see that thing on the screen that go along with the audience that are like, that was kind of racist and kind of brutal for no reason. You have characters like Trickery that help remediate that. So I don't understand anymore. I'm just lost where a film can and cannot do things about history or about supernatural, like almost sci-fi levels. It's like a monster movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. at the end. So yeah, that that's pretty much my my little rant right there. It's just I I just want to say that I'm I'm lost now. I I don't understand where where we're drawing the line without being obvious to like there are filmmakers who do things that are overtly racist and they have been shunned away and like they don't make movies anymore, right? So I just I don't understand where we're going to draw the line with what is racist and what isn't. Well, before I respond, Jesse, do you have a, a, anything to say? Because I just don't want to. Because it's like been um, back and forth between me and Alex. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, I think that the conversation with the professor says it all. He's a Native American. They tried to say like, well, they they're your people. And he's like, no, these are fucking animals. Like, I don't I don't understand. I don't understand this criticism. I understand why people, especially in this day and age, would have this criticism, but it is not a thoughtful criticism. It's not a considered criticism. I think it's a reactionary criticism bred from this sort of, I don't know, the way that people put put any sort of otherization on this like weird pedestal of you can't do that. I don't know if I'm like explaining that super well, but um, yeah, please, please jump in, Jeff. Well, you know, it's hard for me because I, I definitely agree with the uh, ri- like the ridiculousness of the criticism. But at the same time, I will play a little bit of devil's advocate when I when I see common, not tropes, but just little laziness, like like not giving the prof- the professor a name. That's just kind of lazy, you know. Why not just give him a name? Everyone else has a name, 
You know, why call him the professor? I know he's just a side character and he's in one scene, but there's a lot of other characters that are in one scene. So it's just, you know, I find like I can, I'm not agreeing. I'm playing devil's eye. I'm, I'm saying like, yeah, these are the things that, that people, I think, more critical thinkers who have these types of objection, objections, I think these are the things they look for, is how are we humanizing slash dehumanizing one particular race over the other? Yeah. So, so in that sense, like, when you say something, uh, Alex, respond to you of, like, these aren't men. These were never men. Well, that is a tactic used by racists to dehumanize and otherize other people to then make what we do to them okay because they're not human so there is an element where like you are touching on very sensitive topics but it's up to the viewer to gauge your comfort level with the material that you're viewing and be able to put it in the context of the film and understand but there are aspects of the film where we do take Native Americans and, and turn them into monsters. You know, there was, I don't think, mm -hmm. ever a, a tribe like quite like this. There's been some mm -hmm. brutal tribes, I'm sure. Scalping is a real thing. Bisecting people is a real thing. But these are con small contained incidents, not like the hills have eyes, but with natives. And But we've mm -hmm. done this, like I said, with the hills have eyes, we've done this trope so many times with white people. We have put white hillbillies and eating each other in the hills so many times. So we've just taken this trope and yeah, applied it to something but Jeff, different. A white man made this, the Native Americans are the bad guy, so it's racist. I, and that, that's what I'm trying to say is <laughs> I'm trying to show sympathy and empathy for a particular person that may see these type of glaringly lazy aspects of the film but no those aspects don't detract from the film nor do they mean that the film is racist and that's mm -hmm. that's the jump in logic that i'm trying to highlight here is you can take you can take offense not even offense you can take a little bit of you you can regret what they're saying but then to make the jump in logic to be like the movie is racist is where you are now ceasing any kind of critical thinking yeah, mm -hmm. you can have it. You can have it be a signifier that points to a tendency in Western, you know, art, where it can, you know, utilize uh, a minority group as an enemy. But, but yeah, I think the kind of person who would have that criticism of this film, where the film itself is racist, they'd probably have that criticism about anything where a white guy is talking about Native Americans. I don't know. Mm. That's or just, just more hunch. where the white guy is in the position of power. He's the hero. Yeah. And the yeah, native sorry, is the that's, villain. That's that is what I mean. the dynamic is the hero-villain dynamic. Although we are we are in an age as well to, to draw in something Alex said where like people will get mad at you even if you made a movie that's like pro-Native American if you're a white guy. Because you can't do that because you're not them. There's because no Because storytelling anyone. isn't a thing, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel as if after what Jeff said, I do think if they had used a technique that wasn't lazy I mean I don't think this would be lazy, but it could be. It could come off on on screen as lazy, right? Is like show these monsters also attacking the indigenous people of the of the United States. Maybe even have the professor come along so you learn more about him as a I character. I wanted him to, he was great. He could he could get into little spats with Bruder right? Like over the fire while Chicory's there to kind of like mediate with his kindness. And then Kurt Russell's there to mediate with his fucking 
Mustache. Manly mustache. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just be like, hey. Just takes it off, just rips it off, yeah, and starts just... whipping motherfuckers uh, with yeah, it. Exactly. Puts it back on. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Goes back to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, like, it's it's hard because it exists so much in the, like, kind of, like, cowboys versus Indian genre. I mean, they are all white men, you know, going about doing their thing. But it also doesn't exist, like, it never tried to present itself to me as, like, hey, this is like okay there are movies and films that are made like in the in the vein of birth of a nation that are supposed to rile up like racial feelings and yeah. like supposed to <laughs> skew history right the minute i you go into this movie and you realize that these things have horns coming out of their face and that they eat people you're like okay this yeah. isn't this isn't real like, it immediately becomes fantasy i in no yeah, way like, had that thought of like oh this is a representation representation of native americans no this is a yeah, monster yeah. movie Nope. End the of discussion. second that the stable hand was killed, the second that the stable hand was killed, and the way you just... When gore is done a certain way in a film, if you watch enough film, especially horror films, you just know. It's like a gut feeling. It's like an uncanny valley kind of thing where like you can do gore in a very hyper-realistic way that makes your stomach churn, or you can do it this way that's just like arrow through the head and just like it's yeah. just so like goofy when it happens yeah. that it, and it you feel it immediately it's not unintentional it wasn't meant to be like real it was meant to be horror goofy yeah let's <laughs> let's move on to that i don't want to talk about this racism yeah no i'm anymore. done I'm, I'm, I'm already um, i'm already on the next topic yeah yeah let's move on to the violence so one of the things so i have two thoughts about this right one is that I obviously love my grindhouse and stuff like that. You guys know this. This movie goes into that a little bit. Um, it's a weird balance, right? Because sometimes it does feel goofy, Jeff. There's a sp- especially one moment that was the most grindhousey moment where Kurt Russell knocks one of the guy's heads off and is clearly a dummy. And I laughed. <laughs> I and I laughed. <laughs> but, but then there are other moments that are fucking horrifying. Like some really explicit bisection of bodies and stuff like that. Um, so I'm curious what you guys thought about the violence. Because to me, even though it did have that comedic tone a couple times and ventured into that Grand House territory, it felt very, very understated, which made it very impactful when it did happen, right? There's no welling of the score, there's no signposting in a movieish way that violence is about to occur. It just happens, and it's short, it's brutal, it's blunt. It's like the title of the movie, Bone Tomahawk. Very good title, but curious what you think about the violence. The gunplay for a Western is extremely played down, and I liked that. You know, the scene where Kurt Russell shoots uh, the drifter, uh, David Arquette's character, or is that? Yeah, his name's Purville. Purville. Um, I mean, is that the actor's name? That's David Arquette, Yeah, it's David Arquette. His name's Purvis. That's what it is. Okay. he actually, I just want to say, like, I haven't seen him in a role in a long time. I was like, what's up, dude? Yeah. <laughs> um, Hi, David Arquette. So he, he uh, when he gets shot in the leg, right? I love how Kurt Russell's thing is to shoot people in the leg. But, <laughs> like, great. he, uh, the shot is from, like, far away. It's not some, like, slow, like, what I would call stylized, like, gunplay. It's just, like, you just see the cloud of dust and you're just like, oh, he just got shot in the leg and he, he's hurt. So the gunplay aspect is is played down a lot, I think. And it's more about like the piercing weapons and the bludgeoning weapons and just like the the things that draw 
the fat and sinew and tissue of humans, right? Like it's not about like, oh, he just got shot and sniped over and he falls over. It's like, we're going to show all of the, the jazzy jazz stuff. And it made me think actually of our conversation with um, Man Bites Dog, Jesse, and, and just the, the grating ability that violence can have on like the psyche in, in films or just like the dehumanizing effect it can have. And it, it made me extremely uncomfortable, but I don't know. I I liked it, but I didn't feel like the grindhouse thing was too strong. Just a little bit, just yeah. a touch. Yeah, it was just, just like a tiny touch. bit, right? Yeah, yeah. No, a little bit. No, I, I I like. I fall somewhere in the middle. I think I I I feel like there are definite moments of visceral violence. Uh, I think the opening scene is perfect uh, explanation of that. That opening scene. I mean. You're, I mean, there's like, that's not a normal, like, Hollywood throat slit. Usually a Hollywood throat slit is like, boom, done, you're bleeding out, that's it. That's already hard enough. But, like, you could tell that he's using, like, a dull field knife because, like, he's got to, like, saw at their necks and shit. And it's like, you feel, and then I think Sid Haig is such a great person to have oh, in yeah, an opening dude. scene like By that. By the way, <laughs> B-movie legend Sid Haig. Gotta give a shout out to him. Yeah, So he's such a classy, perfect person to have in, casting. in that opening scene. Because Sid Haig is just so known for that type of movie yeah. so like to see like to start a movie of someone sawing at someone's throat and then you see Sid hey you're like all right i'm in well i think it was a good move on the movie's part to signpost who is gonna want to watch this movie yeah you know because you don't want to get you don't want to save all of that towards the end you want to have a little bit of signposting so that people who aren't comfortable with that level of brutality aren't gonna sit through the whole thing you know but but to kind of go just to respond to the point of like the it feeling uncomfortable there are scenes that definitely make you wince but i feel like they're much less in my opinion than the scenes that made me laugh like okay like, like the scenes like like the, the guy getting bisected like when he like when they ripped him apart and his guts fell out i was like yeah <laughs> like, i was like i was fucking cheering i was like fucking yeah like cuz i love like over the top gratuitous gore in movies. <laughs> like I love it when it's just like you just let's just dump the bucket of caro syrup all over the place. Like let's who's got the guts? Who did in who did intestine duty today? Go like, full thirteen assassins mode. Just to have people blow up in a shower of red wine. When there's intestines. Yeah. <laughs> just hanging out i'm like let's go like prop department had work to do like there was things I, I just love that kind of stuff so that scene was awesome to me i had a, i had a blast with that i think the scenes that were the most visceral were more like simple like you hear like like when the the raider is like struggling on top of brooder and the sound you hear that it wakes arthur up is the sound of the knife like tearing through the fabric of his shirt and into his flesh it's like mm. those little sounds are really what nailed it. like um arthur's leg you know like when they show it and it's like squirting pus and blood you're like oh that yeah. is a fucked leg. Like Arthur's dead, <laughs> no matter what happens. Uh, like there's like the, that stuff made me more uncomfortable. The stuff like I like was more grounded in real injuries, like cutting off heads, cutting off scalps. It's like this is just this is horror movie fun times. 
Mm, what did he think of like uh, one of the most effective moments for me the first time was like and it's it lasts maybe five seconds is when they walk past the women in yeah. the uh most disturbing was, scene in the that movie was that's fucked bar up. none most insert- that disturbing was scene. legitimately disturbing because the brood mares because you see what like it change oh my god dude it changes so much in one scene because you now see what her future was maybe i don't know if they interbreed or whatever but no i think i that's the my read i took it as they kill and capture and eat men and then they capture women and then they cut off their arms and legs and blind them so they can't escape and then they just like make them have their babies entirely possible i feel like while that is an entirely plausible read i feel like it's even more fucked up if it was like their own tribes. That's what I, I think it, it is their, their own, own tribes. Yeah. No, I do think it is their own tribes, but I do also think because that's the, that was those, those are the only two women there. So I do think they were maybe like I don't Which it's makes more it... fun to for me to think that that's what she like her future was cuz it's like even creepier. Dude, cuz that's I was what just she avoided. Thinking like I mean maybe yeah, that's like they why why they didn't abuse her as much, you know, they like just kept her off and it, it like onto the side. They were but feeding like, her and stuff. They were like, like you don't f- like they were feeding ugh. her little things and stuff like that. She said it was because they wanted to fatten her up, but like maybe they were just mm-hmm. trying to keep her healthy and not them. You know, it's ugh. like, it, it, it was awful though. That, that scene was highly disturbing. And like the yeah. rocks in their eyes, like blinding. Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you ever play a game called the forest, like they mm. like that game, and this the the tribals are almost exactly the same, and it's beautiful. hey, we're going old school today. We got Jeff throwing in a video game reference. I've still been throwing a while. video game reference. No, I've still while. done one almost every episode. Uh, I don't know. eagle-eyed viewers. Let us know. <laughs> eagle-eyed, <laughs> like, the real the real weirdos you just out there. Stare at the fucking image that I create for an hour. Uh, well. I think we all greatly enjoyed this movie. In many elements, there's, uh, yeah, the the violence sounds like we're a little kind of on two sides on, or at least sort of meeting in the middle. But um, should we wrap sort of sort of wrap it up and get yeah. to the awards? Sure. I think we've covered most stuff, but um, yeah, who gets our Phil Hoffman Award for best performance? Oh, that's hard. Uh, probably Chickory. Richard Jenkins. I'd have to give it to him as well. Yeah, Richard Jenkins takes it. I thought I was going to be the odd man out, but I got to <laughs> give it to Richard Jenkins. He's such yeah. a great character actor. I know. I see, he just blended he, into it. He can just do anything. It's crazy. I recently saw him in like uh, the latest um, Guillermo del Toro movie where he plays like a, a stone-faced villain, like psychopath. He does mm-hmm. that perfectly as well. Yeah, yeah I got to give it to Chicory. Everyone, I got to say, though, did a great job. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah, it was great. Um, okay. I drink your milkshake award for most memorable scene. I mean, I think the bis- the scalping and bisection pretty much takes that. I definitely will remember that. But, I don't know, to, to be more artistic, I guess, to be a little more uh, elevated with it, <laughs> I would say... I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to pass off. I really don't know, actually. I'm going to have to pass this mm. one. I don't have one. All right. So... My, I have one, 
and it's just because it provokes um, very mixed feelings with me. It changes like the meaning of the film in ways that I, I can't grasp or explain yet in my own head. And it is the final, final scene in the film when he throws the rock into the mud and it gets stuck. Um, I don't know. Something There's obviously something metaphorical operating in that scene. And I just, I don't know. I've just been thinking about it for the past few days ever since I saw the, the movie. Um, I thought it was a very beautiful way to end the film. I thought it was cool. And it just like really was like this really bare visual representation of the narrative just ending. And it was just like, boom, it's done. Because he just, he has it in his hand, right? And he just chucks it. Yeah, you don't get that Hollywood movie wrap up where Patrick Wilson and his wife get back to the cabin and talk about their future. You see him like six months later and then it's like he's yeah. walking around. He's like, oh, I got my construction job again. Like there's none <laughs> of that crap. It's like the story's over. Your brain can yeah. fill in the rest. And I appreciate that, you know? Yeah. yeah it didn't, it didn't want to bother with the realism. It wanted to stay within the narrative. Um, yeah. So I think I can say this because I'd seen the movie before a couple times, even years ago. And I mean, just that whole cave sequence is always what sticks in my brain. And especially when they walk by the women, I remembered that extremely well because it was just the most fucked up moment of the movie and added such a, like we talked about a little bit, like this is like a monster movie. And that's where that is completely cemented if it wasn't before. Which it probably was. Let's be real. But, I mean, they had um, bones in their neck to make them like communicate like raptors. Yeah, they're, mon cool. oh, they're monsters. Oh, that scene. Oh, there we go. I got one. The scene where he's cutting the bone out of that dude's neck and he's yeah. like ripping the sinew off it and shit. That was pretty fucking disgusting. Yeah, I love the sound that they made. Yeah, yeah. It's like this. Like it was, it was like a raptor noise. It was like a hollow screeching. But it was like they could like get it to like supernatural sci-fi levels of loud. You're just like, oh my god, you are not human. Like the screeching was like, I don't know, that was really cool. The sound engineer that worked on that, that was that was fucking. It was different and like original enough to be its own like being, and it didn't remind me of any specific like monster. But it was that was very unsettling. It sounded to me, like the like noises. A, yeah, that they it made. sounded like a sour note on a clarinet played through like a steel drum. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's it was... a good way to put it. <laughs> you know that there were a couple sound guys who worked for like a month figuring out that noise and like doing all these different things, layering animal noises and like scraping tin cans, whatever they do. <laughs> you know. Yep. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. There's. I follow I like a couple foley element. artists on uh, TikTok and stuff. And yeah, like, that's yeah, interesting. Like they're really, really cool. The, the dynamic stuff they come up with to make sounds. I got to give it the same award to, or the same scene for my roller girl award for most uncomfortable scene. It's got, it has to be them walking past the yeah. women, just Agreed. seeing that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think there's any real discussion yeah. there. That made me like visibly mm -hmm. wince. And the frozen banana award for most comedic scene. Oh boy. That's a hard one in this because there are these really great moments of comedy and levity. But they're but tiny. They're so tiny that it's hard to really pick one particular one out. I'll have to go with definitely the sitting by the campfire. The bathtub. And like talking about the bathtub. Yeah. It's just so heartwarming and so contrary to like the, the tone that, that surrounds it. Yeah. Like he's like, why do you keep doing it? 
why do you read literature in the mm. in the tub? <laughs> He's like, I, I don't know. I just can't resist that. <laughs> I love sitting in the tub, but a man gets tired of staring at his toes after a while. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. You don't have your iPad to fight around on. Yeah. Um, that by the way, there's I, I noted this in terms of like the filmmaking when they were camping. There were a few things that like worked in concert to make that a really cool scene. One is that when they set up camp, you have a, a foreshot of them, but Matthew Fox is visually set away from the others, so you can see his distinction as a character. He's not really part of the crew, even though he is. So you have that separation. And then it goes into that conversation about reading in the bathtub. So you have the this humanistic, realistic, and funny, affective moment between characters. But then you're brought back to reality with this punctuation mark of Matthew Fox shooting the coyote. And like, boom, we're back into the reality of the situation, you know? He does it all like slick gunslinger. He's like reading a book. And he's just like... <laughs> and then just like yeah. back to reading his book. No, and the whiteness, right, of all of his clothes is all different than like the rest. So oh, I loved his outfit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. he's great. Slick man. He was like... He was like if the caretaker from Curious George was in the American <laughs> God, West. What a fucking eclectic reference. <laughs> right? Yeah, right? I don't know. know. <laughs> I don't get it. I have no idea. Like I like I kind of remember. I mean I haven't seen Curious George since I was like six. Alex has the book on his, you know, bathroom shelf. Yeah, he, yeah. he reads it in the bath on a music stand. Yeah, he reads let's it in the bath. <laughs> let's wrap curious this shit up. George. He's a curious monkey. Um I don't know if we can do... Oh, there he is. Alex is showing it to us. I don't know if we can do the Willem oh, Dafoe Award for most erotic scene. I guess maybe when, like, Patrick Wilson's getting it on. Yeah. Yeah, with his wife. I, I mean, guess. Yeah. I but, hit fast forward on that scene, so I wouldn't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, was like sex, I was like, sex scene, click, 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 click. All right, next. It was like the most vanilla, just I, basic movie sex exactly. scene Didn't ever. need to be in there. It was not Mama Tambien. Didn't That's need to be in there. What did it add? Have a nice, a nice shot <laughs> of Patrick Wilson jerking off into his pool. Yeah, nothing like that. Um. Uh, all right, let's wrap it up. Let's get out of here. Thanks for listening to the Real Weirdos podcast. Two and a half white men with English degrees talking about movies for way too goddamn long. Come hang out with us on Twitter at Real Weirdos Pod. Say what's up to Jeff and say what's up to all of us in the comments. We'd love to hear from you and we'll see you all in the next one where we will talk about misery with Kathy Bates. Enjoy your deviled eggs. Sid Hag my balls. Sid Hag my balls. chicka chaka now our podcast is done and we have to run we know it is sad but we had so much fun don't be bereft jesse alex and jeff will be back real soon the real weirdos we talk about movies for way too goddamn long Boo 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 boo.